welcome to another Sunday edition of Charlottesville Community Engagement, an irregularly produced newsletter that is a podcast as well. This particular installment of the podcast is slightly longer than what you'll read in the written version. This is due to a recent break in the space-time continuum, or at least a readjustment of gravity. Town Crier Productions is nearly in its fourth year of existence and continues to plot the way to expansion at a time when there seems to be a lot to know. I'm Sean Tubbs, looking for my astrolabe. In today's edition, the Democratic primary for city council and area general assembly races is in two days, and the latest campaign finance reports are in. Charlottesville City Council learns how the city's transit agency is hiring a third-party firm for a microtransit pilot in Albemarle County. Charlottesville has a new city attorney, and council is agreeing to pay CRHA half of the cost to purchase another single-family property. The University of Virginia is about to have a new person running parking and transportation, and Charlottesville gets a bike and pedestrian coordinator. Finally, a deep look at what's in the University of Virginia's next master plan document. In today's first subscriber-supported shout-out, it is Pollinator Week, and the Piedmont Master Gardeners want you to join them at the Center at Belvedere on Tuesday, June 20th at 5.30 p.m. for a tour and open house of their rose and pollinator demonstration gardens. An hour later at 6.30 p.m., there will be a presentation on how to create a pollinator paradise in your yard. The pollinator demonstration garden comprises mostly native perennials and grasses and is designed to provide food, shelter, and nesting areas for pollinators throughout the growing season. The garden has earned certification as a monarch way station by monarchwatch.org and succeeded in attracting monarch butterflies and nurturing them through their life cycle in its first year. That's Pollinator Week at the Piedmont Master Gardener's demonstration at 5.30 p.m. at the Center at Belvedere. There are only two days left until party primaries in Virginia, and candidates have submitted their campaign finance reports through June 8th. In the open seat for the new House District 54, Albemarle School Board Chair Katrina Carlson leads the three-way pack with $172,976 raised to date in the whole campaign. That includes $61,987 in donations from April 1st to June 8th. That includes a new $20,000 contribution from Sonia Smith of Albemarle County. $14,250 from Leadership for Educational Equity, and $5,000 from the Virginia Trial Lawyers Association. Smith has sent a total of $60,000 to the Colson campaign to date, more than a third of the candidate's total contributions. Colson has spent $142,879 so far in the race, including $65,447 on radio and television advertisements, Another $35,150 was spent on mailers. Former City Councilor Dave Norris has raised $35,636 in the campaign to date, including $6,025 in the current period. So far, the former manager of the Charlottesville Parking Center has spent $20,800, including $4,296 in online advertisements and $1,409 on ads, purchased through the Charlottesville Radio Group. 
Bellamy Brown, a 2021 candidate for city council and former member of the formerly named Police Civilian Review Board, has raised a total of $18,326 in the race so far, including a $5,000 loan. His campaign has spent $12,859 to date, including $7,500 in mailers. In the open seat for the new House District 55, former Charlottesville School Board member Amy Lawfer has raised more money than emergency room nurse Kellen Squire as of June 8, 2023. Lawfer has raised $317,169 in the race so far, including $100,948 in the period between April 1st and June 8th. That includes $20,000 from Emily's List and $12,000 from developer Barbara Freed. The Lawfer campaign spent $148,580 in the period and $218,774 in the overall race. That includes nearly $73,000 on mailers and $40,730 on advertising on television and radio. Meanwhile, Squire has raised $202,187 in his campaign to date, including $43,542 in in-kind contributions. There were 61,738 in contributions in the latest reporting period. His campaign has spent 197,385 so far in the race, including 63,805 on mailers, 23,905 on television and radio, and 17,970 on online advertising. There is a Republican in the race, according to the Virginia Public Access Project. Reed Werning did not raise any money in the reporting period. Engage Louisa reports that Werning is an aerospace engineer. Delegate Rob Bell opted to not run for re-election, as reported in the March 1st edition of this newsletter. Now, this is a special part of the podcast. If you listen to the podcast, this is where two stories from previous editions of this newsletter have been captured in audio. If you've not heard the podcast before, well, you're hearing it now. My writing style really depends on listening to the audio and producing this, because I do all of this because deep down, I want to be a radio producer. In a normal week, it is no trouble to produce both the newsletter and the podcast at the same time. It's not been a normal week. The following two stories from previous installments are now here. There are links to them on Information Charlottesville, which I set up as an archive. Anyway, let's get to the first story. This one is from the June 13th edition of the newsletter. Charlottesville City Council has agreed to interim city manager Michael C. Rogers' choice for the city's top legal official. Jacob Stroman will be the next city attorney. His most recent position was in the equivalent position in the city of Chesapeake. We consented that this was uh, the best candidate that emerged after a very competitive uh, process. Rogers said the city charter requires council to consent to the hiring of the city attorney. Here is Vice Mayor Juan Diego Wade. I thought it was a very good process and we had some excellent, excellent candidates to um, apply and I think it puts the city in a good light that we had so many qualified applicants to apply and it was a difficult choice. Stroman replaces Lisa Robertson. Robertson resigned suddenly last December after serving in the position for less than two years after succeeding John Blair. Blair had been interim city manager and left Charlottesville to work for the city of Stanton. 
Charlottesville City Council has agreed once more to redirect funding to help the separate public housing agency purchase property for the purpose of retaining affordable units. This is the third time that council has agreed to use funding budgeted to bolster federal housing voucher programs to pay for the Charlottesville Redevelopment and Housing Authority to purchase additional property. Here is Deputy City Manager Sam Sanders. We were um, setting aside $900,000 per year for that program, and uh, as of FY22, there had been an accumulation of a $1.9 million surplus based on the funds not being utilized for a variety of reasons, uh, market really being the driver behind that. Sanders said the CRHA asked the city to reallocate the funds to help protect what's known as naturally occurring affordable housing that would otherwise be in jeopardy. In this case, the city would transfer $137,500 to match the CRHA's equivalent payment for the $275,000 purchase price for 100 Harris Road. Um, that house is currently assessed at $369,000, so this would be purchasing it at $275,000, which is roughly $100,000 under uh, market value. This property would be part of the city's growing housing portfolio that will be managed in partnership with the CRHA. That also includes the 74 units known as Dogwood Properties, which council agreed to spend $5 million on to cover the $10 million price tag for CRHA. The existing rent is $750 and the existing tenant can remain in place until they are ready to leave. Here is city councilor Michael Payne. I think purchasing land is the most important, powerful thing we can do for affordable housing, being 10 and a half square miles, landlocked. The last time this property sold was in October of 1972 for $34,500. Mayor Lloyd Snook voted for the payment, but said he was concerned there did not appear to be a written strategy for how CRHA will proceed to acquire property in the future. The fact that we don't have a plan now is a relatively speaking small concern because we're not looking we don't we don't have a disposition in mind yet but i think we need to have a plan for this kind of purchase if we're going to do it again fellow councillors agreed a plan and strategy would be needed as crha plans to buy more property second reading of this item will be on the june 20th agenda Last August, the Virginia Department of Rail and Public Transportation awarded a $1.552 million grant to CAT to provide the service. Firms had until April 26 to respond to a request for proposals to operate the service for CAT. Here is Garland Williams, the manager of Charlottesville Area Transit. We're fairly close, I believe, within the next month or so, next two months, of being able to hopefully come back um, to Albemarle County with a recommendation from our, our group um, that's been looking at this. The service will be branded as CAT. Here is Deputy City Manager Sanders, followed by Williams. What you see on the street will look like CAT. It's not going to be you're calling up a, at a third-party group and it you'll get a, di a different name. It They'll call CAT. Um, it'll look like CAT. At least one member of the Board of Supervisors expressed concerns in February that CAT may not be up for the job. A new person will soon lead the University of Virginia's efforts to manage how people get to and get around the sprawling community that is constantly growing. Becca White will retire from the position of Director of Parking and Transportation after serving for many years. 
Bill Palmer is the University of Virginia's representative on the Charlottesville Planning Commission. She leaves behind a, quite a legacy for, for our system of parking, transportation, transportation demand management, regional transportation collaboration, uh, and just the enthusiasm that she would bring to everything she did is just going to be hard to replace. UVA last updated its transportation demand management plan in July of 2019. The job of implementing the plan will now be up to Scott Silsdorf. He's the person hired to replace White. Silsdorf has most recently been the director of transportation and parking services at Old Dominion University. He has been managing their parking and transportation program for the last 20 years. So... In other personnel news, the city of Charlottesville has finally hired a bike and pedestrian coordinator after the position remained vacant for two and a half years. Tommy Safranek, a former manager at the National Park Service, started work late last week. His work on building trails was profiled by the Daily Progress last year as part of their Distinguished Dozen series. Here's James Fries, the city's director of Neighborhood Development Services. If you're playing along at home, that means we've fully staffed up our transportation planning team. So if you think back to that presentation that Ben Chambers uh, did um, a number of weeks ago on the work of that team, um, we are now fully staffed and moving forward full steam. The, the hiring of Safranek uh, follows the hiring of Ben Chambers as transportation and, um, planning manager. Charlottesville is still working to complete design work for several the, the streetscape projects and, that have not yet gone to construction. Chambers briefed council in March on efforts to get things moving. Pun intended. You're listening to Charlottesville Community Engagement. Since the beginning of this newsletter, one Patreon supporter has dedicated their shout-out to an organization that seeks to draw awareness of the importance of native species to the ecosystem. As we approach the summer, Plant Northern Piedmont Natives wants you to know that they have printed over 9,300 copies of their guide, Piedmont Native Plants, a Guide for Landscapes and Gardens. And you can get a digital copy of your own. In this guide, Piedmont native plants are defined as plants that evolved before the influences of European settlements as they began to shape and change the landscape. Plants included in the guide were selected from the Digital Atlas of the Virginia Flora and occur naturally within the region. You can download your copy today for free in a link in the newsletter. One big last story to finish this off today. There's almost a billion dollars of construction projects underway at the University of Virginia on land that is exempt both from local control and local taxation authority. What's going to get planned for the next 15, 20, 30 years? How do you find out? In addition to watching the meetings and reading the minutes of the Buildings and Grounds Committee of the University of Virginia Board of Visitors, the public can inspect materials that are available on the website of the UVA Office of the Architect. One very important document is the draft of the Grounds Plan, a framework for campus planning that's dated March of 2023. 
The executive summary refers to the plan by its more common name. The Grounds Framework Plan is a comprehensive guide intended for the overall development of the University of Virginia's grounds over the next 10 to 20 years. The plan calls for flexible redevelopment to support a variety of UVA-wide initiatives in support of a strategic plan called the 2030 Great and Good Plan. One overarching theme is regional cooperation. Here's one bullet point. Acknowledge the importance of being a good neighbor and a strong partner to the greater Charlottesville region. There are several planning principles listed to guide the plan's development to follow that goal. Here are some of them. Support development of a comprehensive, integrated regional transit system that better serves staff, faculty, students, and visitors. Collaborate with the city, county, regional agencies, and community groups to address mutually beneficial issues. Use land and infrastructure on grounds efficiently for compact growth, collaboration, and protection of natural areas. Conserve significant natural features on grounds while maintaining public access to trails. The main idea in the plan is to direct growth into three development zones. There are two different kinds. One is the academic mixed-use and residential mixed-use redevelopment zone, intended for high-density development with integrated green space for placemaking and connectivity on grounds. There are approximately 230 acres of these areas in total, and the plan states that there is enough for projected facility growth for the next 20 years. One zone would seek to extend central grounds toward the Emmett-Ivy Corridor. The student neighborhoods in north grounds would get varied uses and amenities over time. Over at the west grounds section, the idea would seek to implement opportunities to intensify existing academic, research, and student housing facilities. One thing to note on the map is that the property on Grove Street at Roosevelt Brown, south of the railroad tracks, is shown as one of the residential mixed-use redevelopment zones. The following quote is from an article I wrote in September 2016 for Charlottesville Tomorrow. The university paid $8.73 million in late August 2016 to acquire a total of 2.63 acres on seven properties on Grove Street and King Street. This purchase was unusual because the University of Virginia purchased it directly rather than have the UVA Foundation make the acquisition. That entity's creation was called for in the 1986 three-party agreement between Albemarle, Charlottesville, and UVA. Stacy Hall on West Main Street is within an academic mixed-use redevelopment zone, though a matrix on page 40 of the plan indicates that residential would be okay as a primary use. The last grounds plan was adopted in 2008 and introduced the concept of redevelopment zones that directed the creation of master plans for the Brandon Avenue Corridor, the Emmett-Ivy Corridor, and redevelopment of sites on the northern side of Ivy Mountain. When adopted, the draft framework plan will direct new areas for the next generation of master plans. The plan refers several times to the impact that UVA activities have on local governments. Here's something from page 13 of the plan. Connections for pedestrians and cyclists between Central Grounds, North Grounds, and Fontaine Park are reliant on the city and county road network. The combination of a varied topography, busy streets, a rail corridor, and athletic fields make this a difficult challenge to overcome. The opportunity addressed by the grounds plan is to continue to build more direct, lighted pathways separated from busy roads across grounds. 
The new framework also states UVA's objective to provide enough housing for all second-year students. This may increase the demand for more amenities on grounds. The framework also restates UVA's commitment to the Affordable Housing Initiative. Here's page 14. This initiative is supporting the development of 1,000 to 1,500 affordable housing units over a decade in Charlottesville and Albemarle County on parcels owned by the university and the UVA Foundation. According to the website of the President's Council on UVA Community Partnerships, two of the three announced areas are still in the request for proposal stage. In February, five entities were asked to submit their proposals for the Piedmont site on Fontaine Avenue and the Wortland site close to West Main Street. Now, this draft frameworks plan is for March. You heard about it? And has the closed-door group known as the Land Use Environmental and Planning Committee discussed it? That group has met once since April, but their website has not been updated yet to reflect it. Thankfully, the city's representative provided an update from the missing meeting at the Charlottesville Planning Commission on June 16th. Here's Commissioner Hosea Mitchell. The discussions were regarding the uh, water supply plan and um, also what's going on with the UVA grounds and the, the framework plan and any progress being made. Mitchell said he had sent the PowerPoints for both of those discussions to his fellow planning commissioners. I'll work on getting those, but we'll note that this one sentence from Mitchell prompted a deep dive into what's in the grounds framework plan and what you've just heard, what you're going to hear. That's all of the information, in part because Mitchell's comments at previous meetings have drawn the concern of officials who would prefer that what happens at Lupec stays at Lupec. There will be a change to the charter of Lupec, according to the minutes of the April meeting. One idea is to develop a sample statement for the planning team regarding the confidential nature of the conversations within the closed-door committee. But anyway, enough about that for now. There's more in the framework plan that's worth the attention of anyone interested in the future of the community. And let's run down for some of those. Let's put some music behind it. North Node Notables The plan anticipates redevelopment of the intersection of Copley Road and Massey Road, including the replacement of the dated Copley Hill residences. Commercial space could be built in parking structures to support area residents, athletes, and spectators. A future transit hub is anticipated with a bike parking station. The city's Emmett Streetscape project would be used to tie North Grounds and Central Grounds together. This node also anticipates the future development of the Ivy Gardens. Emmett Ivy Interest Points the Emmett Ivy Redevelopment Zone is under construction with the Virginia Guesthouse, the Karsh Institute of Democracy, and the School of Data Science. New buildings would include a performing arts center and flexible space for academic use. Nothing is specified, but wet lab space is ruled out as being too far away from core facilities that could use that space. And a pedestrian central green space will be created as bioremediation features are built. West Main JPA Node Tidbits. This one starts off with a bold statement. Development of the West Main JPA Node will be transformative, entailing almost all of the entire West Complex redevelopment zone. That's on page 51 of the plan. Now to the bullets. There is a concept to redesign Hospital Drive with future buildings 
fronting that as well as Jefferson Park Avenue. A plaza is called for in front of the historical medical building. While academic uses are the primary use, student housing and food establishments would be acceptable. And here's this quote. The appropriate height and massing of future buildings will require further study. Whitehead Node wonders. Redevelopment of this area would create a hub for the School of Engineering and the College of Arts and Sciences. The Albert H. Small building would be redeveloped with a new academic building as well as a plaza. Fontaine Nuggets. A new public plaza would be created in the northern section of the park, including a pedestrian bridge over Fontaine Avenue. Ray C. Hunt would be shifted to accommodate a roundabout and extend a road through more of the park. And the plan doesn't mention the biotechnology institute that will be built here, but that's why we have reporters. How is all of this going to develop? Stay tuned to future installments of Charlottesville Community Engagement to find out. Please consider becoming a paid subscriber to ensure I can continue to keep an eye on what's happening. They're not going to make it easy, so I'm going to. of number 546. It is so good to be publishing a new installment. This one's been under development for a few days as I adjust to a slightly different way of living my life. I very much will be continuing this work as I spend more time with my family. I do this work for many reasons, but providing information to people about what they can expect is a core part of my professional existence. There are many in the community who may want to know more about the drivers of growth across this region. What the University of Virginia does affects all of us. And making sure their plans get in front of an audience is part of the purpose of Charlottesville Community Engagement. Thank you to all of the Substack subscribers and Patreon supporters for allowing me to do my work. If you've not joined them yet, now is a good time. Each platform gets different levels of additional perks. You know the thing about Substack, you know the thing about Ting, they're going to match it. Blah, blah, blah. Time to get on with number 547. The week ahead is next, and goodbye!